Today's sermon is from October 27, 2019 at Louisville United Methodist Church in Louisville, Colorado. The scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31 from the Common English Bible. There was a certain rich man who clothed himself in purple and fine linen and who feasted luxuriously every day. At his gate lay a certain poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. Lazarus longed to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Instead, dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. While being tormented in the place of the dead, he looked up and saw Abraham at a distance with Lazarus at his side. He shouted, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm suffering in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things, whereas Lazarus received terrible things. Now Lazarus is being com comforted, and you are in great pain. Moreover, a great crevasse has been fixed between us and you. Those who wish to cross over from here to you cannot. Neither can anyone cross from there to us. The rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers. He needs to warn them so that they don't come to this place of agony. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They must listen to them. The rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will change their hearts and lives. Abraham said, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, then neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Some sermons just pour out of my fingertips. I know exactly the direction that I see the sermon going. I can hear how the scripture is resonating with the community and myself, and, and it's easy. And then there are, there are other sermons where I just don't know how to find the content and the stories and the anecdotes to to craft a sermon, and it takes me days upon days of praying and ruminating on the scripture to have some idea of the direction we're going to go in. And this sermon was neither of those. <laughs> this sermon was story upon story upon story, and yet no idea how to select and craft and narrow it down to a 12 to 15 minute sermon. It's just the sermon, by giving the sermon, it is the counterpoint to today's scripture. We have stories. We have books and we have feature articles and magazines and we have whole websites dedicated to the good Samaritans of the world. We have all these different pieces of information about how human connection is transformative to who we are as individuals in our society. We have a book full of Moses and the prophets and Jesus and Paul telling us this is how to live your life and when you do, you will bring about God's kingdom here on earth. If stories worked, I wouldn't be giving the sermon. We experience the divine when we connect with the other. 
we step out onto the margins and when we pick up our heads and we take the time to have a connection with a human being whose life experiences are different than our own, we connect ourselves with God. That's the message of today's scripture. I don't need 12 to 15 minutes <laughs> to fill that out. And the stories, they really are countless. We will, we will talk for the next 10 minutes and then you'll go out and you really can. You can pick up a book at Barnes and Noble or Tattered Cover or your local library, or you can pick up a magazine or Google it. There are people that will tell you time and again, go to the margins, go serve, be served, and you will be transformed. When you do that, one of the stories that might pop up is the Nationals and the Astros are going to game five in the World Series. And the person throwing out the first pitch is Jose Andres. He's a restaurateur. He came from nothing. He has built up his life. He is a world-renowned chef. And when Hurricane Maria came and wiped out Puerto Rico, he was disturbed by the lack of care for the people that were living without clean water and food and electricity. And he said, what do I do? I cook, so I'll cook meals. And he rallied his troops. He contacted friends and family and neighbors and strangers. And in the first 30 days after Hurricane Maria, Jose fed 2 million meals to people in Puerto Rico. And it transformed him. He started a nonprofit, and he didn't just respond to Hurricane Maria. He has now started a nonprofit that when tragedy hits, his organization will respond by providing healthy, quality, hot meals to people. There's another story of a minister, and I apologize. I've heard this story so far down the line. I've lost the name of the minister, but the minister came into this regentrified neighborhood and started a new church. And what he learned as he was starting this church is that despite the pretty storefronts and the people that were coming in and sitting in the pews on Sunday morning, when the community was regentrified, nobody took the time to identify the problems that were causing the homelessness and the drug addiction and drug use and the pain and suffering. And so he and the congregation got together and decided to also start a meal ministry. And similar to Jose, they decided they were going to bring in these high-level chefs to offer these quality, healthy, hot meals. The ministry was about both feeding the bellies of those in need and also feeding their souls and recognizing that they too deserve quality and comfort and care. And there was this parishioner in the congregation who became deeply involved in this ministry. She had a heart for it. She was committed and convicted by this ministry. And so one week she would volunteer and she would work alongside the chefs in preparing the meal. And the next week she would come and she would serve the meal to the people that had come to receive it. And the next week she would serve as a table captain and she would sit and eat and break bread with the people in need that were hungry. That wasn't the transformative moment for her though. It's just a part of her mental model of what it meant to be Christian. So each Sunday when she drove to worship and each day she drove to serve as a part of this meal ministry, she would 
pass through the town and she would see those, those new storefronts of the regentrification. And she would see the remodeled homes. And on this one corner, she would see the same man flying a sign each and every time she drove by. Her moment of transformation was the Sunday when she was in worship and they all stood up to receive their communion and she came forward in the line and as she came to receive the communion bread, she looked up and was looking into the eyes of the man that flies the sign on the corner. It's that moment it's that moment when you are serving and something shifts and suddenly you're being served and that is when God breaks us open to the vulnerability of being transformed, to being served by those whom we think we've been sent to serve. And we realize in that moment that if we allow ourselves to be present to that experience of being broken open, that we need that other, that person on the margin that is extending love and care to us. We don't just want them. We don't just tolerate them. But we need them. This morning's scripture reading is a little bit obtuse. There's some parables where Jesus is really obscure and you get to kind of play around with what you think it means. But this one, when you have all the details, it kind of hits you square between the eyes. The rich man has literally built a gate to keep Lazarus and other people like Lazarus off his property and out of his home and out of his life. He has built a physical structure that says, you're not welcome here. <laughs> and the rich man doesn't have a name in this story. We know some rich men and women in this world. They usually have their name not just only like identified with them, but it's on the front of a book, or it's on the side of a building, or it's on the city sign. But this story, the rich man doesn't have a name. And the rich man dies, and he goes to the afterlife and the afterworld, and he sees Lazarus with Abraham, with God. Lazarus, a name that means the one God rescued. Lazarus is with God and is rescued from the pain and suffering that he experienced in his life. Our deepest vulnerability is we need to recognize that it's not just about seeing the eyes of God, and it's not just about being served by the other, it's just about needing the other, period. And in this story, it wasn't a big thing. The rich man was asking for a drop of water. I think it comes down to self-sufficiency. And self-sufficiency isn't a cultural thing. We could give this sermon in any part of the world. It's a human thing. Have you ever tried to help a three-year-old buckle into the car? <laughs> 
You see, we're most self-sufficient when we're most vulnerable. Have you ever looked at a teenager and said, it's okay to ask for help? One of the stories that we're walking right now is with Megan's grandparents, who are 93 and 94. Have you ever looked at a grandparent and said, it's not safe to drive anymore? We want to be self-sufficient. We think it is what we're meant to do. We are told it, right? That teenager that's told to ask for help, and then they hit 18 or 21 or 31, and we're like, no, no, go do it. You can do it on your own. But that's not true. That's not how we're made. We're made to be in relationship and be in community. Perhaps it's not just about that's bruising to our egos, but we suddenly realize that we're not exceptional. And gosh, if there is something that's cultural and society-driven is exceptionalism, we are different than the rest. I can make it. I can do better than them. We as a country can do it even if nobody else can. Self-sufficiency and exceptionalism are pervasive and they're not found in scripture. The rich man doesn't ask to be saved. He asks for a drop of water. And the woman who received the communion bread didn't ask for a job from the man who was flying the sign. And she didn't ask for money. And she didn't ask for anything elaborate. She simply asked in that moment to be included in the Lord's Supper. There are things that we are meant to receive and to be served. And the stories are really... Like I said, they were so numerous. One of the stories that came to mind was my first mission trip. I didn't get to go on a mission trip as a child or a youth or a young adult. It wasn't until my sister was in high school and needed a chaperone for her youth trip that I traveled with her. And I went to Appalachia with her. And we helped people try and build and re refurbish their homes and we would show up each day and we would work on siding and we would work on the floors and we would work on the different parts of their home and they would come out with water and lemonade and desperately, desperately try and care for us. I have to admit, that was a key point in me not just receiving a call, but answering my call. Another story that came to mind was when I would go down to Civic Center Park and serve the lunches, and I'd serve water, and I'd serve communion, and I'd serve clean socks, and it was my responsibility to get all those things there. And the people would leave their place in line waiting for the lunches and the communion and the clean socks to show up. And they would carry all of these heavy water bottles and lunches and bags to the front of the line. They desperately wanted to help. And at Christmas time, you can gather, and gosh, the last time I saw it, it was 300 volunteers and 300 people without homes. And they come and they don't just get lunches and stuff like that. They get sleeping bags and they get toiletries and they get a hot meal. And they're told, it is more important to be with you right now at 10 o'clock on Christmas Day than to be anywhere else. And you see church on the steps of the state capitol. Another communion story came to mind. Um, I learned from Professor Rita Berglund 
who's also a minister while I was at ILIF, and her son was born with a degenerative disease, and they never expected him to make it into adulthood, and she said he was around 23 or 24 when they went to this event, and he was invited to help serve communion, and so her son, who didn't stand up straight and often needed assistance, was standing in his broken body at the front and offering Christ's body broken for you. I don't know what you need. I don't know what moment of transformation you'll experience. If your life is anything like mine, these invitations to transformation will actually show up time and time and time again. And I urge you, though, I urge you to put yourself in those opportunities to be broken open and to be vulnerable and transformed because we also have Moses and we have the prophets and we have the stories of Jesus. And yet I believe it's going to take that human connection with the other and with God for us to recognize our own humanity. Our needs are far more complex and diverse than I think we realize on any given morning. We think we have it together. We have our next meal figured out and we have a roof over our heads and we have clothing on our body and we have our job lined up and we know that we are self-sufficient. We have it figured out, but I don't think we realize how much we need. You see, we need the Mexicans and the Hondurans and we need the African-Americans and we need the Kenyans and we need the South Africans and we need the Muslims and we need the Buddhists and we need the atheists and we need the undereducated and we need the unemployed, and we need the underemployed, and we need those who are food insecure, and we need those without homes, and we need the incarcerated, and we need the refugee, and we need the immigrant, because it is when we recognize our need for them that we remember that it is more important to recognize our needs in the other than to be self-sufficient or to be the provider of the things needed. That is when we're on the margins that we are with God. Which gets to the so what. And again, I don't know that a sermon's necessary at this point. There's just not a lot to unpack in this morning's scripture lesson. Are you tempted to create gates between you and your family and the rest of the world? Have you already done so? Because the heavy truth of it all is when you build a gate between you and the other, you are building a gate between you and God. What are the gates that we as a faith community have built up? And what do we need to do to tear them down? Where have we put up a gate outside of our building and outside of our minds that says, God, you're just not welcome here. We've got it all figured out. Our stewardship of our community embraces and celebrates all of the resources available, and that includes people. And perhaps, perhaps it's the gleaning of the community. Who have we left behind that we should go back and collect and say, you are not just welcome here, but you are wanted here. We need you to be who God is calling us to be. 
The body of Christ is not composed just of bodies that look like ours and sound like ours and feel like ours. The body of Christ includes the leper and includes the widow and includes the orphan. The body of Christ includes the beggar and the refugee and the incarcerated. And my prayer for this faith community is that we embrace each opportunity to more closely resemble the body of Christ. I'm anxious when I invite people to do mission and service, like I talked about, to go to Appalachia or to go down to Civic Center Park. I'm anxious about the emotional work and the, the mental gymnastics that need to take place to help a person who has not done mission and service for the first time recognize that we're not doing mission and service for people, we're doing mission and service with people. And I want people to know that they will probably get more out of the experience and be changed more than they realize that they're not going to give. But I also don't want them to do it for a consumer reason. Well, if they go because they want to be transformed, are they only going because they want something out of it? And I just get myself in this knot of mental gymnastics. And then I get there. And you won't believe this. God's already been there. God has already softened the hearts of the people that are in that community. God has already softened the hearts of the people that I am serving alongside with on this mission trip. God has softened my hearts. And Jesus has already spit on the mud and wiped it on our eyes and has pulled it away so that we can see clearly and hear clearly. It seems the Spirit is active in already crafting that opportunity in which each of us might recognize that we too need to be served and in that moment we will look into the face of God. For when we show up on the margins and we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, and I know that sounds risky and it sounds scary, but if we can allow ourselves to be vulnerable, we will continually be transformed by our need for the other and we will see the face of God and we will resonate and live fully into our own humanity. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. To learn more about Louisville United Methodist Church, you can check out our website at louisvilleumc.org. From there, you can subscribe to our newsletter, connect to our social media pages, and click on our Give Now to make an offering to the Louisville United Methodist community. Have a great day.